In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from Psalm 119. This psalm is the longest psalm in the Holy Bible. This psalm is composed from 22 sections. These sections are organized according to the Hebrew alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet are 22 letters. Section 1 after the first letter, section 2 after the second letter, and so on. For example, if, if section 1 if is the first letter alpha, every verse in section 1 will start with alpha. If section 2, V, then every verse in section 2 will start with V, and so on. And every section is eight verses. Eight verses. So each verse of the eight verses is started with the same letter, according to the 22 Hebrew alphabet. And almost in every single verse, there is a reference to the Word of God. For example, in verse 49, remember the word in verse 50 for your word has given me life in verse 51 i don't turn aside from your law verse 52 your judgment verse 53 your law and so on so each verse has the word of god is referenced either with many synonymous like judgment statutes your word, it's it, your sayings, it's it. So far we finished six sections, so six by eight, because each section has eight verses. So today we'll start section seven and eight God willing. So section seven start by verse 49, volume. Tonight we will study from verse 49 to verse 64, section 7 and section 8. The seventh Hebrew letter is Zain, and the eighth Hebrew letter is Heth. So each verse in section 7 starts with the letter Zain, and each verse in section 8, start with the letter Heth. Then section, or the seventh section, from 49 to 56, deals with the comfort of the Word of God. How the Word of God gives us comfort and consolation. This section begins by seeking the main consolation, namely, the Lord's fulfillment of His promises. There are many promises in the scripture. And when God fulfills his promises toward us, this gives us comfort and consolation. And then it shows how the word of God protects us and keeps us, even under affliction, and makes us so firm, well-founded to enemies' contempt. 
And the psalmist repeated the word remember many times in this part of the psalm. For example, in verse 49, remember the word. In verse 52, I remember your judgment. Verse 55, I remember your name, and so on. The word I remember was mentioned more than one time. Why he repeated it? Because remembering the word of God and focusing on the things that are true and, and right fills the life with hope and comfort. When we remember the word of God and we remind ourselves with the promises of God, this gives us hope and comfort. Section 8, the theme of his section, or section 8, from verse 57 to 64 is obedience, obedience to the word of God. Nothing is more important to do than keep God's commandment. One should obey quickly. As he said, I was haste, haste in obeying your word. In this section, the psalmist seems to take firm hold upon God himself, seizing him as in verse 57, crying out for him, for God, verse 58, returning to him, verse 59, comforting himself in God, verse 61 and 62, associating with God's people, verse 63, longing for personal experience of God's goodness, verse 64. The theme of section 7, the power of God's word to comfort. And the theme of section 8, hurrying to God with all our heart. Let's start by verse 49. Remember the word to your servant, upon which you have caused me to hope. So here, David is saying to God, remember the word, remember your promise to your servant. You made promises to me. Remember these promises to me. Because upon these promises, you have caused me to hope. When you give me these promises, now I have hope. So the psalmist knows that God could never forget his word. Why is saying remember to God? He is speaking in the manner of men. This was a plea for God to fulfill the promises stated in his word. So when he said remember, not because God forgets, but he is saying fulfill your promises to your servant. God's word of promise has given David hope and given all of us hope. The word of promise was made to David, for example, concerning establishing his house and kingdom forever, which David desires God would show himself mindful of in fulfilling it. So when God fulfilled these promises, then God actually is mindful of these promises. He's asking God to renew and confirm his faith and to give him some new assurance of its fulfillment, 
the fulfillment of his promise to David. Not that God ever forgets his promise or is unmindful of his word, no. But so it seems when God delays its accomplishment or when unbelief prevails and doubts arise in our heart, when our faith becomes weak and when we do not have clear view of the promise and comfortable assurance of its being fulfilled. So we go to God and tell him, remember your word, remember your promises. God wants us to plead his stated promises back to him in prayer. So here the psalmist is asking God to act, to fulfill the promises. After all, it is in this very word that the psalmist was made to hope as he said, upon which you have caused me to hope. As a faithful servant, he tries to claim a corresponding faithfulness from God. St. Augustine reflects on the word remember, and he says, is forgetfulness incident to God as it is to man? Definitely not. Why then is it said unto him, O remember? Although in other passages of Holy Scripture, this very word is used as, Why have you forgotten me? Many times David in the book of Psalms said to God, Why have you forgotten me? These expressions are borrowed from moral discourses on human affections. Although God does these things according to a fixed dispensation with no failing memory, nor with an understanding obscured, nor with a will changed, but we use our language when we address God. When therefore it is said unto him, O remember, the desire of David who prays is displayed because he asks for what was promised. God, you promised me to do so and so. Remember these promises and fulfill them. God is not admonished as if the promise had escaped from his mind. Definitely not. Or remember, David says, your word unto your servant which means, that is, fulfill your promise to your servants. And the psalmist trust and hope in God's word is not credited to his own spiritual greatness. No, he is relying on the mercies of God. It came because God worked in him to hope in his word. That's why he said, you have caused me to hope. You put this hope in my heart, not because of my goodness, but because you have put this hope in my heart. Verse 50, This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. So when I go through a difficult time, when I go through affliction, 
What will comfort me? Your word, your promise. As if I am dead and your word moved me from death to life. So when the psalmist recalled how faithfully and powerfully God's word has brought him life in the past, he then found comfort in his present affliction. Past experience of life-giving, sustaining power of God's promise is his comfort in affliction. For your word has given me life in the past. So I trust your word, and now I'm comforted in your word. In the midst of an affliction suited to the individual, the believer can also enjoy a comfort is specifically suited to him. It is my affliction, it is my comfort. As he said, this is my comfort in my affliction. I will find in my personal afflictions personal comfort from the Word of God. Also, the sinner can say to God, your word has given me life when he was dead in sin like the prodigal son was lost and found, was dead and now is alive. Verse 51, The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. So in verse 50, explains to us what affliction he is referring to. The psalmist is mocked and reproached for his love and trust in God's word. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. The proud mockers look at him and his dedication to the word of God, and they hold him in great derision. No matter how great the derision that comes from the proud, he will hold the faithful to God's word and to his word. That's why he said, yet I do not turn aside from your law. The proud used in the scripture to describe the enemies of God, the wicked people. The goal of the proud was to turn him and us away from the word of God. But the psalmist said, Yet I do not turn aside from your law. Verse 52, I remembered your judgments of all, O Lord, and have comforted myself. I did not remember only God's sentences upon wicked people, but all the course of his providential authority of the world, including his deliverances of his servants. For example, he remembered how God delivered the people from the land of Egypt and split the Red Sea in front of them. This remembrance serves as motivation and encouragement. When it challenged by the proud to listen his confidence and trust in God's word, the psalmist wisely responded by increasing his comfort and confidence in God's word, in that he comforted himself. 
the psalmist remembered that the law of God was always the same and that therefore he might trust in God. I remembered your judgment of all of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Verse 53 Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. The psalmist not only tolerated and accepted reproach from the enemies of God, but did it cheerfully. He accepted this cheerfully for the sake of God. There was a specific comfort in remembering the judgment of God. In a similar way, we are comforted and strengthened in hope as we remember how God has dealt with men and circumstances in the past. When we remember the three young men in the furnace of fire, Daniel in the lion's den. All these stories give us motivation, courage, confirmation, comfort. The crowd who hold the simple believers in great derision enjoy the praise and honor of some in this world. Maybe they will be glorified in this world, but they can never know the comfort of the word of God that the psalmist has experienced. When the psalmist thought of the wicked, perhaps the proud who held him and others who trusted in God's word in great derision, it made him indignant. The burning indignation that seizes him is a response to the wicked who have long departed from the instruction of God's word. Indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who forsake your law. He recognizes their great sin, which is forsaking God's law. Those who deny God's word do just this. They forsake the word of God. And worse yet, they often lead others to do the same. Like how the atheists try to make people deny the existence of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ described the punishment for those who lead others astray when he said it is better to put a millstone in their neck and be drowned in the sea. The conduct of the wicked alarmed David, and their condition overwhelms him. He sees them rebelling against God's word and exposed to the wrath of God. He sees the awful scenes of judgment near and sees them about to be cast off. That's why his soul is filled with horror. So the impression which the wickedness of the wicked made upon David, he was frightened. It put him into an amazement. He trembled to think of the dishonor they do to God and the satisfaction thereby given to Satan. Instead of giving glory to God, they are giving this glory to Satan by forsaking God's law and the harm and malice thereby done to the souls of men. He did not say, 
horror has taken hold of me. But he said indignation. Because of their cruel plan against him. But because of the contempt they put on God and his law. So I want you to notice he did not say indignation has taken hold of me because of the wicked who put me in derision, as he said in verse 51. No. So this indignation, not because they put him in derision or they mocked him, but this indignation mainly because they forsake God's law. No man can look on the world of despair without horror. No one can truly realize that his fellow men are exposed to the horrors of that place without having his soul filled with anguish. So when we see the world around us is filled with wickedness and how our fellow men, because of the blindness of their heart, they are exposed to the wrath of God, our soul is filled with anguish. That's why St. John Chrysostom says, let us then shed tears for their sake, not one day, but all the days of our life. Sin is an evil, horrible thing in the eyes of all that are sanctified. So the children of God see sin as a horrible thing. Verse 54, indignation took hold of him because of the wicked. But see what the word of God did to David. Your statues have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. God's word, your statues, make him sing with joy and confidence. God's word has been to him a source of joy and happiness, his consolation and his delight even in the time of affliction. Has found pleasure in meditating on the word of God and has had peace and joy in the word of God in the day of loneliness and trouble when he said in the house of my pilgrimage, my estrangement here. The rules and regulations of God are his cheerful songs. Those who know the power of singing God's word have great comfort in the house of their pilgrimage. Midnight praises and whisper praises are who are singing the word of God. That's what the praises in the church are singing the word of God. As St. Paul and Silas did while they were in prison. They were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. In in the house of my pilgrimage means the earthly house of his tabernacle while we are living here on earth we are strangers we are pilgrims in which we are but a pilgrim and a stranger. So David is referencing his current status as a stranger in this world who is awaiting for the coming kingdom. Like Jacob says 
the days of the years of my pilgrimage. Jacob, one of the, the son of Isaac, son of Abraham. In my pilgrimage through the desert of this world, amidst rocks and sands and desolation, but the psalmist found joy in these scenes in the desert of this world by thinking on the holy truth of God. St. Augustine says, This is the lowest state in the house of mortality here in earth, because we are mortal beings, of the man who sojourn away from paradise and the Jerusalem above, wins while going down to Jericho fell among rebels. So, St. Augustine is saying about the parable of the Good Samaritan, this Jewish man who was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, he said, when we were exalted from the paradise of joy, heavenly Jerusalem, and we came to the earth, this Jericho, we fell among the robbers. Robbers are the demons, Satan and his soldiers. But in consequence, of the, of the deed of mercy which was done him by that Samaritan, the status of God became his song in the house of his pilgrimage. The good Samaritan represents our Lord Jesus Christ, who came and saved us, took us to the end, the church, where we are healed, and where we are singing to God, the good Samaritan, we are singing to him the songs of his word. Although he was weary for the ungodly, as he said, indignation has take hold of me. So although he was weary for the ungodly that forsook the law of God, but he was singing and chanting the word of God. Verse 55. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and I keep your law. So once again the psalmist remembers. But the object of his recollection is not simply a portion of God's word, but the very name of God. He said here, I remember your name. He did not say, I remember your word, but I remember your name. Because the name of God means what? When we say, he says, I remember your name. The name of God encompasses the sum of who God is, his nature, his character, his deeds, his promises, his word. And the word of God reveals to us who God is. And he said, I remember in the night. I remember your name in the night. The night can be taken literally and figuratively. Literally, in the dark of night when fears and anxieties often rush upon him, the psalmist finds comfort in the name of the Lord, revealed to him by the word of God. This comfort is also real in the figurative night. Figurative night is the night of distress and affliction that believers may face. He remembers God's name, and it is this remembrance of God's name that motivate praises and obedience. Verse 56, which is 
the last verse in section 7 this has become mine because I kept your precepts what is, has become his this has become mine because I kept your precepts the peace, the joy, the comfort the comfort became his the consolation became his because he kept the precepts of God so the psalmist is saying that it is his portion duty, privilege, position to obey God and God has given this blessing to him this blessing of comfort and joy became his all this comfort and steadfastness and joy in the midst of the trials and sorrow has become mine because I kept your precepts this consoling remembrance of the mercies of God of his covenant grace came to him in consequence of his consistent obedience as he said because I kept your precept I kept your precept means I was obedient to your command it is not that the psalmist claims perfect obedience nobody can claim perfect obedience but a life generally lived in faithfulness to the word of God then we'll start section 8 section 8 each verse starts with the Hebrew letter Hef verse 57 you are my portion O Lord I have said that I would keep your words so this begins a new part of the psalm indicated by the Hebrew letter Hef to David God was all and in all he asked nothing else you are my portion with you I don't need anything else you are my portion O Lord other places this happiness in the wealth and honors of this world their portion is in this life they look no further they desire no more these are their good things the pleasure of the world the wealth of the world but David saying you are my portion these are the words of satisfied soul with God the psalmist is satisfied with the portion received and that portion is the Lord himself the Lord fills every aspect and satisfies every need in his life the word portion has its root in the Levitical priesthood when they entered the promised land the household of Levi was to be set apart from the rest of the nation of Israel means what? the tribe of Levi did not get any land as inheritance no portion of the land that flowed with milk and honey instead God himself was to be their lot and portion the land represented blessing and prosperity and God's favor to his people but the tribe of Levi the priests of God their treasure is not in the land that flowing with milk and honey but their treasure is God himself set apart holy to him 
And the psalmist wants his portion of divine blessing to be God himself, like the Levites. Nothing is better and nothing will ever fully satisfy his heart but God himself. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I would keep your words. He determined this within himself to do under a sense of the love of God to him in being his portion and inheritance. You are my portion, so I determined to obey and to follow your word. And the word I have said, he did not only purpose that in his heart, but he professed and owned it before others. I have said that I would keep your words. This promise would be an empty vow without the empowering of God in our life. Without the grace of God, we cannot keep the the word of God. When we have a close connection with God and receive and enjoy God as our portion, we also receive his strength to keep his word. So he said, because you are my portion, because I receive your grace, that's why I can keep your words. Then in verse 58, the psalmist understood both the urgency to seek and please God and his inability to completely do so. That's why he said, I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I entreated your favor, or according to other translation, literally, I entreated your face with my whole heart. But without your mercy, I cannot do it. That's why be merciful to me according to your word. The word translated your favor is literally your face. Having said, you are my portion, he entreated his face, he entreated his favor. As one that knew he was unworthy of it, and yet lost and destroyed without it, but forever happy if he could obtain it. I know I don't deserve your face, O Lord. I'm not worthy of it. But I am lost and destroyed without your favor, without your face. And I'll be happy and content if I obtain it. So the psalmist here declares that he has sought the face of God. What does it mean? He sought the face of God with sense of inability shown in the request, be merciful to me. And the request for mercy is not based on it being a right. This is my right, be merciful to me, or I deserve it, but based on the merits of God. The psalmist speaks as one who expects mercy according to the promise of God's word. Be merciful to me according to your word. Seeking the face of God means seeking his grace, his favor, to shine upon me with his light. Then in verse, I thought about my ways. That's what we do when we go to confession. 
we thought, we think about our ways. And I turned my feet to your testimony. I found that I am lost. So I turned my feet to your testimony. Time is spent in God's word when we read the word of God and reflect on the word of God. This actually gives us thoughtful reflection about our ways. Are we following the way of God or not? This gave insight necessary to turn in the right direction. When he found himself lost, he decided to turn into the right direction. This, while he was studying the world, he was led to study his own life. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimony. And he did not say, I turned my eyes, but I turned my feet. For example, if you are driving and you saw on the GPS that you lost your way, and you decided just to look with your eyes to the right way, but you did not actually turn your car to the right way, what does this profit you? Nothing. If you know that you are lost, you need to turn your car to the right direction. That's why he said, I turned my feet. He did not say, I waited for God to turn my feet, or that he found he could not turn to himself. I was unable to turn, but he turned, which means he paused, he reflected, he changed his course of life. He did not turn his eye to the right way, but his feet the direction, his affection to the love of God's word and his conversation to the practice of it. So turning your feet means the practice, the obedience of the word of God. This is an actual turning from sin, actual returning to God. The sinner turns, he leaves all the path and walks in the new one. Understanding the promise of God in his word leads us to live life of repentance. Then in verse 60 he said, I made haste and did not delay to keep your command. I made haste and did not delay to keep your command. Once you discover you are lost and you find the right way, you turn immediately. Don't wait. Why you should wait? I made haste. Once on the right path, with the feet having been turned, the psalmist can now speed his way in the course of obedience. Unfortunately, most of us are quick to put off our repentance, to delay it to a more convenient time. I'm not ready to repent now. But the psalmist was so wise, so prudent, he made haste and did not delay to keep God's commandment. He acted at once under his conviction of what was right. He did not ask permission to defer it to a future time, as Felix the governor did with St. Paul, and he did not attempt to avoid the duty and claim inability. Sometimes they say, I'm unable to fight this sin. I, I cannot quit smoking. I cannot quit etc. 
He did not actually say, I cannot do it to avoid duty and to claim inability. The main difficulty in repentance lies in the fact that the sinner is not willing to obey God at once. And he will not break away from his sins, but pleads for delay. Yes, I know I am walking in the right direction, but wait, give me some time, and I will repent. Verse 61, The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. So the psalmist was attacked and afflicted by adversaries, but they did not could make him forget or forsake the law of God. The cords here are metaphor from the snare or trap of the hunter. And the wicked means great numbers of them surrounded him and put him in fear. According to St. Augustine, the wicked are the hindrances of our enemies, whether spiritual, like the devil and his angels, or carnal, the children of disobedience, like ungodly friends in whom the devil works. So the word of God dwells in David richly, so that he is able to not be tempted by wicked snares from within or without. Although the cords of the wicked have bound him, but he did not turn away from the word of God. When the Lord is our portion, we can stand against trials and temptation. Verse 62, At midnight I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgment. So the heart and the mind of the psalmist are so filled with thanksgiving and appreciation toward God that he finds his sleep interrupted by these night thoughts. At midnight I will rise, as if the daylight hours did not give him enough time to thank God. His devotion to God was sincere, shown by its secrecy alone when no one is watching. Sometimes we pray in public because people are watching us, but in our inner room we don't pray. Who is watching David at midnight? But this means his devotion to God was so sincere. His desire to praise God in his word was more important to him than even the desire for sleep. And why he is thanking God? I give thanks because of your righteous judgment. So he does not thank God on account that God saves him from the temptation, but he is thanking God for his righteous judgment, turning the temptation into holy blessing. The temptation of David got turned into holy blessing. St. Jerome used words of the Psalms to express how important to commit to prayer, especially at night, saying that the Lord Christ commands us, watch and pray, watch, lest we enter into temptation. And God himself continued all night in prayer to God. 
63 I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts these are his friends these are his companions those who fear God and those who keep his precepts the psalmist enjoy the special fellowship present among those who honor and hold God's word those who keep your precepts David had often expressed the great love he had to God here he expresses the great love he had to the people of God his companions are not of the rich and powerful of this world but of such who had the true fear of God upon their hearts he loved them why because they kept God's precepts having experienced this broad companionship the psalmist felt the goodness of God is filling the whole earth that's why it's verse 64 which is the last verse in our Bible study tonight he said the earth O Lord is full of your mercy teach me your statutes this is an expression of a heart full of love to God and to his word the earth O Lord is full of your mercy in such a state of mind the psalmist was in the goodness of God is seen everywhere everywhere he goes he can see the mercies of God it's not a perception but his eyes are open to see the reality of the mercies of God that is filling the whole earth the earth is full of demonstrations of God's grace and kindness this experience of God's mercy increased his desire for knowledge and obedience teach me your statutes the earth O Lord is full of your mercy teach me your statutes but somebody would say but he already said I reflected in your law your word is my meditation so what he means here by teach me your statutes the pursuit of God in and through his word leads to satisfaction and blessing then that satisfaction and blessing leads to a deeper pursuit leading to even more satisfaction and blessing so the more we read the word of God and the more we enjoy it this actually makes us want to read it more and when we read it more we will find new depth that satisfies us and with this new depth we want to read it more and when we read it more we will find a deeper and a deeper meaning and so on and because everything of God is grace and goodness the psalmist wants to know everything that God has to say about everything I want to know everything you say about everything teach me your statutes God readily teaches those who seek him that's why in the church before we read the gospel there is a litany for the gospel asking God to teach us his status and his word this actually concludes our Bible study tonight by verse 64 glory be to God forever and ever Amen